we are more than conquerors through Christ who gives us strength, right? Amen? Father, we are so grateful for the victory that we have in Jesus. Lord, no matter what is going on around us, no matter how the enemy is trying to defeat us, we know that in you, we are victorious. So, Father, today, as we look at your word, as we consider your truth, I I pray, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom and the faith to step into the victory that you have won through Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So great to see you today. I know that you're glad to be in God's house worshiping him today. A couple of weeks ago, we actually wrapped up a series called Signs of Glory. And in that series, we explored the miracles or signs that Jesus performed that John highlighted. They were in the book of John. He highlighted them to help believe, help people believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and is the Son of God who is alive. As a matter of fact, at the end of John's book, he wrote these words to describe his aim. Listen to what he said in John chapter 21, beginning in verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. By believing, you may have life in his name. So these miracles that we looked at were actually signposts pointing to the truth, the reality that Jesus was sent from God to tackle and conquer the biggest obstacle to human life and flourishing, which is death. And the bursts of supernatural power that Jesus demonstrated manifest themselves in the signs, in the signs of those miracles. They were a necessary part of establishing Jesus as the way, truth, and the life. They were necessary for us to understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But listen, I want you to think about it. Was more needed? Like, could, could, could Jesus have just performed those miracles and we, we just run right out and say, okay, we, we've, we've got it, he's the Messiah. The fact is, more is needed. See, for the signs to effectively point to Jesus as the Messiah, they had to be rightly interpreted. You had to be able to understand what the sign was saying. If people couldn't read those signs correctly and grasp God's objective in sending Jesus, then they would always be misinterpreted. As a matter of fact, think about all the people that saw Jesus do miraculous things and then chose in the end to shout, crucify him. They saw the signs. They were present when Jesus was operating with wonder-working power. But they didn't read the signs correctly. And so if misinterpreted, those signs could always be explained away as anomalies. Just something that happened, a curiosity. And you know what happened if those signs were ultimately misinterpreted? 
the world would not recognize Jesus as the light, as the one sent from heaven to take away the sins of the world. So, on top of those signs, John and the other gospel chroniclers recorded encounters that Jesus had with individuals, conversations that served the purpose of turning the light on so we could rightly interpret the signs, so we could see the truth of what Jesus was doing and who he was, why he was up to what he was up to. Now, those are the encounters that we are studying in this series. And the one that we're going to look at today involves a clandestine meeting between Jesus and a very, very powerful religious figure who just happened to be wrestling with this very question we're addressing. Here's here's what he wanted to know. What are we to make of these signs? What are we to make of the signs? How do we interpret what Jesus has been doing? So if you have your Bibles or your phones, turn to John chapter 3. We're going to read a very familiar story, John chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. John chapter 3, verse 1. You know what? Before we read, let's just pray. God, I ask that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word today. Lord, challenge and change us in the light of this truth. Help us to understand who you are, what Jesus said, and how we can know victory in his words through his sacrifice. In his name, amen. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. We know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, better to say Jesus interrupted, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Uh, Okay, so how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you don't understand these things? Once again, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. 
Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Now, Every time we read a passage of Scripture, and I hope you consider this when you sit down daily to read the Scripture, we need to understand that the context helps us grasp the content. Okay? That's a clue for how to read the Scripture. The context helps us grasp the content. Therefore, it is important when we're studying this story to note what Jesus has been up to prior to this meeting with Nicodemus, which, by the way, not coincidentally, took place in the dark of night. Jesus was already putting up signposts revealing who he was. Already he was putting these signs up. As a matter of fact, Nicodemus made mention of that in his introductory statement to Jesus. Do you remember what he said? Look at verses 1 and 2. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform, say it, the signs. No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, Nicodemus and his compadres, his, those who were fathers of the Jewish faith, they were making note of these signs that Jesus was hanging up. Now, at this time, we know in the book of John that Jesus has already launched his ministry. As a matter of fact, we, we could perhaps better put it that his mom kick-started things. Do you remember what happened? Uh, he, she came to Jesus wanting him to solve a little problem that was going on at a week-long wedding festival. They had run out of wine, and so she obligated Jesus to help he turned the water into wine, and off he went. In addition, the other Gospels reveal that Jesus has performed several miracles of healing, which no doubt were the signs that Nicodemus was referring to. Listen, in Nicodemus' mind, these things would be impossible to pull off if... God was not at work. Jesus could never have healed those people, legitimately healed them, if God was not with him. So John painstakingly includes in this report of the conversation, he lets us know what Nicodemus is thinking. And that was critical for us. But John doesn't stop there. He also gives us insight into what Jesus was thinking coming into this conversation. Now, listen, this is absolutely critical if we're going to understand this encounter. We need to pay attention to what was going through Jesus' mind. Now, to find that out, let's go to John chapter 2, the three verses 
prior to the introduction of Nicodemus. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. Here's what the scripture says. Now, while he was in Jerusalem, that is Jesus, at the Passover festival, many people saw, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Did all the people believe in his name? No, many of the people believed in his name. But Jesus, now remember, this is what he's thinking when he meets Nicodemus. Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Jesus knew the heart of men. Now, some of the people, as a matter of fact, the text says many of the people were getting behind Jesus. They saw what he was doing, and they were totally on board with it. But, not all the people... Some of the people who saw what he was doing were not supportive. They were threatened. So here's the question. Who could Jesus trust? Like, you know, when you're getting started, you want to build a group of people who are going to be encouraging and believing in you. Even Jesus, of course, wanted that. So who could he trust? And how would he know who he could trust? Well, it turns out that Jesus didn't need references. Why not? Because Jesus knew the hearts of men. He knew exactly what was going on in their hearts. Meaning, he knew and understood, because it's understandable, that they would be attracted to his fresh, engaging teaching, and even more so to the miracles that accompanied his ministry. Makes sense, right? They loved what Jesus could do for them. And knowing their hearts, Jesus understood this to be true. They were perfectly willing for him to give them a hand... They were totally open to Jesus' working miracles that benefited them, being blessed from above. They all wanted that. But they weren't ready to give him their hearts. They would take a hand and keep their hearts. So John 2.25 says, For he himself knew what was in a man. He knew it. Now along comes Nicodemus. And look how John introduces him. Verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Here's what a normal introduction would have looked like. John would have written, Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. A Pharisee named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. But John is actually careful to say there was a man named Nicodemus, which is really weird because all Pharisees were men. He didn't need to say that, but he did. It was awkward writing. It was superfluous information unless... John wanted to tie 
that meeting with the conclusion of chapter 2 where Jesus knew what was in the heart of every man. John wants us to recognize that Nicodemus wasn't sneaking up on Jesus. He may have come at night, but Jesus knew exactly who he was and what he was about. Now there is a man, Nicodemus was a man, who just happened to be a Pharisee, but he was a man. And Jesus knew what was in his heart. He may have been a religious scholar. He, he may have known more about Jewish spirituality than almost anyone alive at that time. But, to his core, he was no different from anyone else. How was he the same? Well, he wanted to retain control. He, he, he wasn't ready to yield control to Jesus. So he came with questions. Why? Because if he could understand Jesus, he could manage him. If he could figure out what was in Jesus' heart, then he could handle Jesus. He and the Pharisees could manage him so they could all get along and the Pharisees could retain their power. But, but listen, this is so important. Nicodemus came to understand Jesus. But what Jesus wants for us is to know him. Not necessarily to understand him. See, to know him, to know him as King of kings and Lord of lords is to trust Him. When we trust Him, we don't try to manage Him. It is, we, we, when we know Jesus, we don't go about protecting ourselves, the, the illusion of control, but to know Jesus is to give Him control. And that explains the exchange that Jesus had with Nicodemus where we actually find, if we read with eyes wide open, that Jesus is, is being uncharacteristically rude to Nicodemus because he cuts him off in mid-thought. Do you remember? Nicodemus came and he was, just, he was just setting the stage. He had an introductory statement. Look what happens in verses 2 and 3. He came to Jesus at night... Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, buttering him up a little bit, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So we can just imagine Nicodemus saying, so, let me ask you a question. But Jesus replies, interrupts, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, the greeting was courteous. Nicodemus was being affable. He was potentially even respectful. Because the term rabbi in their culture was one that was reserved for teachers who should be honored. Teachers whose words should be followed. So, Nicodemus starts off well enough, but then he tips his hand. 
He's there as a representative. How do I know that? Because of what he says. He, he, he doesn't say, Rabbi, I know. What does he say? Rabbi, we know. Well, who is we? Who is he representing? Is it we the Pharisees? Is it we the Jews? Or we the God worshipers? Is it we, as in me and anyone else, willing to be honest about what we see? Someone who's willing to look and say, well, Jesus is doing really good things, so he must be coming from God. Is that the we? Well, if he was representing the Pharisees, then it's possible that Nicodemus had come to Jesus at night to negotiate an agreement with Jesus. Defining that it's a DTR, right? Defining the terms of their relationship so they could all get along. Jesus could go around teaching people the truth and they could maintain their power. If he was representing the Pharisees, he was doing so because Jesus needed to know his place and it was possible that Nicodemus was there to put him in it. Possible. It's also possible that Nicodemus was representing true God worshipers. Honest people who were were going to wrestle with the implication of Jesus' supernatural power. So what was it? Well, the truth is we don't know. And the reason we don't know what he was thinking is because Jesus cut him off in mid-thought. He didn't get there. He was, Nicodemus was leading up to something, but Jesus knew what was in the heart of this man, and Jesus knew through this encounter he had to get to the heart of the matter. Why? Because Jesus wasn't so much concerned about what Nicodemus was thinking. Jesus was concerned about Nicodemus' soul. He was concerned enough for him, as we should be for those who don't know Christ, that he was going to tell him the truth. He wasn't going to let Nicodemus rest in his ignorance. So Jesus interrupts him. Stop right there, Nicodemus. You can't even see what's from God. You can't even identify the work that God is doing unless you've been born again. Now this is something that I talk about with non-believers frequently. There, There is an element to the Christian faith that you will never see and understand until you become a Christian. The fact is, the Scripture is alive and active for those who have the Holy Spirit living in them. And how do we receive the Holy Spirit? We receive the Holy Spirit when we are born again. And so the same Holy Spirit that inspired people to write the Scripture lives within us. And so the Scripture comes alive when we read it as believers. If you are not a believer, there are some things about God and His kingdom that you will not understand. Now this was probably wildly offensive to Nicodemus. Why? Because he was the leader of Jewish spirituality. Remember he led with, Rabbi, we no. There's some things I know, Jesus. And Jesus cut him off and said, nope, you, you can't. 
because you haven't been born again. Now, when we discuss Christian spirituality, we hear that phrase, born again, a lot, don't we? We may not know what it means, but we hear it a lot, and we may even say it a lot. But this is the first time Nicodemus or anyone else has ever heard that phrase in this context. First time it's recorded in Scripture. So he says, Nicodemus responds to Jesus when he says, hey, you must be born again. He says what we would say if being born again had never occurred to us. What does he say? Look at verse 4. Uh, how can someone be born when they're old? Duh. Surely they cannot enter a second time into, into their mother's womb to be born. Well, no, Nicodemus. They can't. You can't re-enter your mother's womb. Being born again, Jesus uses that phrase because it has some of the same characteristics of the first birth, which Jesus is going to explain in a moment, but it's different. Jesus' point is, Nicodemus, you have not been born again. And that's the problem. You have not been born again, and so you don't really know what you think you know. What Jesus is saying to him is, Nicodemus, despite your position, your lofty status as a member of the Jewish ruling council, you are incapable of judging what is of God and what isn't. So Nicodemus comes saying, we know, and Jesus is saying to him, well, actually you don't. Why? Because you can't. Because unless you've been born again, born into the kingdom of God, you cannot identify the works or the truth of God's kingdom. See, you can only know the kingdom of God and identify and experience its benefits if you're in it. If you're in it. And you can only be in it if you're a child of the king. And you can only be a child of the king if you've been born again. This is an important truth to wrestle with. Have you been born again? Look how Jesus describes being born again in beginning in verse 5. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one, no one, even you, Nicodemus, you who Everybody would say you've got it all right. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. See, Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. See, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone that's born of the Spirit. What, what is Jesus saying? Being a citizen in the kingdom of God requires a spiritual rebirth. 
Not a physical rebirth, a spiritual rebirth. But what Jesus wanted Nicodemus to understand is the reason he calls it being born again is because it happens in much the same way that the first birth happened. Out of your control and by grace. Out of your control and by grace. See, the first birth when God gives us life, is the story of grace because it is totally out of our hands. You know that, right? We, we don't get to pick the time, place, or parents of our birth. We are not in control at that point. The start of life is grace because it is in someone else's hands. Now, the second birth is exactly the same. It happens by the grace of the Father. It is a spiritual experience that can no more be controlled than the wind. That's what Jesus was saying. It comes about by the will and the love of the Heavenly Father. Now that's what John was saying. This is how he put it in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Listen to these verses. Yet to all who did receive him, Okay, to all those who were born again, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, born by the will of God. Listen, it is, it is, no question, God's gracious will that enables anyone to become his child and thereby to enter his kingdom. God, in his grace and his mercy, because of his amazing love, he extends the invitation for all of us to be a part of his kingdom. He chooses to give us the right and the privilege of being his child. And until you accept the invitation on his terms and are born into his family by faith in Jesus Christ, you, listen, you're not a part of that kingdom. You know, we hear all the time people say, everybody's a child of God. Well, everyone was created in God's image. Everyone was created with dignity. But what, this, what Jesus says right here is that you're a child of God when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're, you're just a part of creation. But when you place your faith in Christ, you become a child of God and you take up residence in the kingdom of God. It's only by faith in Jesus. And if, if you have not acknowledged that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then you're not a part of his kingdom. Only by spiritual rebirth do you enter 
the light that enables you to clearly see and participate in, see and participate in what God is up to. But listen, the good news for Nicodemus and for all of us is that God so loved the world, that God loves you so much. He loved all people he created in his image so much that he's opened up the path for entrance. It happened through the death of Jesus who hung on the cross. You remember the story that JP read? How the, the snakes that were a byproduct of their sin were biting the people and actually killing them. And they came to Moses and they said, Hey, we're, we're really, really sorry. Tell God to take away the snakes. Well, he couldn't take away the snakes because they were the consequences of their sin. But what he said was, I'll deliver you from the snakes. And he told Moses to put a serpent on a pole, a bronze serpent on a pole, and raise it in the middle of camp. And so anyone that had, was bitten by the snakes could look at that serpent and believe that God would heal them. And guess what? They would be healed, delivered from the consequences of their sin. And so Jesus comes along in chapter 3 talking to Nicodemus and says, Hey, guess what? The Son of Man is going to have to be lifted up like that snake in the wilderness. And when He is, anyone who looks at Him and believes will be delivered. When He's on the cross, we will be rescued from the consequences of our sins, the death of our souls. And when we are rescued, we enter His kingdom and so all who look to Jesus hanging on the cross by faith will be born again, will be children of God and citizens of God's kingdom. But there's no other way. Can you imagine the people in the wilderness when the snakes were biting them and Moses said, I'm going to put this serpent on the pole and just look at it and you'll be healed. They're going, nah, I don't, I don't like that way. I think there ought to be some other ways. I think God could have figured this out in a better way. And so I'm just going to do it my way. Guess what would happen to them? They would die. And so here we recognize that to be an absurd, it would be an absurd situation. We don't get to tell God how to rescue us. He reveals by His grace and mercy how He rescued us. And so he says, it is by faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King of kings, and Lord of lords. There's no other way to get to heaven except by Him. You don't have to like it. You just have to trust it. If you know Jesus, you'll trust Him. When you're born again, you've looked to the one who was lifted on the cross for salvation.
Now, I said earlier that Jesus interrupted Nicodemus because this is what he needed to know. He needed to understand how his heart would change, how his life could change. And while he came potentially representing the Pharisees who wanted to manage Jesus, I think Nicodemus was anxious to come to Jesus because he knew something was broken. I think Nicodemus approached Jesus at night and the we that he's representing are those of us who struggle at night. See, as a Pharisee and a religious leader, Nicodemus gave off the impression that he had everything under control. Okay, he lived by self-control and, and he controlled the Jewish nation by, by helping them live up to the letter of the law. He maintained law and order according to the scriptures. That's what it was like for Nicodemus in the light. But at night, when he came to Jesus, it's totally different. When no one was looking, you know what I believe about Nicodemus? I think he knew something was wrong. I think he knew that his life of control was just an illusion. He didn't have it all together. He needed help. You know how I know that? Because if you try to live by the rules, if you try to hold it together so the world will think you're in control, at some point, when the lights are off and you're all by yourself, you can look within and know how far short you fall. We can't do it. It's absolutely impossible. That's why God sent Jesus. That's why we have to be born again. We have to be given another chance. We have to step into the kingdom of God's grace that forgives us of our sins, relieves us of the burden of trying to maintain control, and enables us to follow the one who is control. Jesus says to that group of people who at night are honest, look, you need to be born again. You need to acknowledge that you can't keep it straight. And you know that's a fact for all of us. All of us. It is the universal disorder of mankind. It is what Jesus knew about the heart of every man. 
the heart, the scripture says, is deceitfully wicked and beyond cure. Every heart needs the cleansing that was offered by Christ on the cross. Every life needs a fresh start. And when you take that fresh start by placing your faith in Jesus, then you yield control to Him. Because you're born again. And you're in His kingdom. Have you been born again? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I pray that, Lord, we would have the courage to be honest. Before you, just like Nicodemus was, we, we come to you needing your grace and forgiveness needing to be relieved of the illusion of control and graced with new life. Lord, I, I pray for those who are in this room or watching today who don't know you. I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would lead them to acknowledge the truth that Jesus led Nicodemus to acknowledge. And that is his need for you. His need for forgiveness. Lord, we celebrate with overwhelming gratitude your love for us. That you loved us so much that you sent your Son to die for us. Father, if there are those who don't believe, I pray today would be the day they enter your kingdom as your child by faith in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.